I can't show up fully in movement spaces if I'm not in my own home as myself and I'm able to find my own pride in who I am and where I come from. This is Healing Justice, a podcast bridging conversations at the intersections of collective healing and social change. I'm your host, Kate Werning, and this week I'm talking with three women from If Not Now, Ilana Lerman, Michal David, and Helen Bennett. If Not Now is a movement founded and led by young Jews working to transform the American Jewish community's support for the occupation in Israel-Palestine into a call for freedom and dignity for all Palestinians and Israelis. We talked about culture design as a key component of movement building, including dealing with internalized oppression as a community, guarding against appropriation as people search for belonging, the role of song and ritual, celebrating and supporting leadership, the complexities of organizing in the Jewish community, and more. And I really was excited about sharing the stories from If Not Now with you because all three of these women are really culture artists. And the culture that we create in our movement spaces that draws upon our existing people's cultures but also intentionally builds in practices that shape the way that we be together and to one another is absolutely an aspect of healing. And so before we dive all the way in, I have a little podcast update for you. You may have heard this on the last couple episodes, but our podcast production team has decided to try out a new format of sharing some community voices here on the podcast and also to raise support to keep this project going. So you might know that we already have a commitment to keeping all of our content free. Many podcasts have subscription-only content, which means that you only get the resources if you can pay for them. But we want these practices and ideas to be completely accessible to all people because, honestly, none of us own any of these things either. And so selling them doesn't feel appropriate. Many of you have already been generously supporting us on Patreon with a monthly pledge at patreon.com slash healingjustice, and thank you for that. We need more of that and are super, super grateful for that free will support. So the new thing that we've created is a new segment called Affirmations. And this is a time for us to feature community voices and words that are uplifting the people, the organizations, the communities that are embodying the values of healing justice in your life and where you are. And so for a donation, you can submit your own personal shout out to Spread Love that will be read on the show. You can either record yourself for a full 60 seconds on a voice memo or whatever way you have to record at home and submit that and we'll play your voice on the show. That's our favorite option. Or you can also give us something in writing. You may have a lot of good reasons why you'd prefer to do that and then we can read it for you on the show. And this is a way of spreading love, not for promotion, but for public gratitude. So if you think about it like how you hear ads on other podcasts, our ads are about community building and spreading love instead of selling stuff. So if you want to submit a community love affirmation to be played in a future episode, you can head to www.healingjustice.org and look for the button to submit an affirmation in the upper right. 
Does anyone say the WWW anymore? I don't think so, but that's healingjustice.org, y'all. I feel like we imply the WWW now. It's 2018. So we're going to try this out together and see if it sticks. And as an example, you'll hear one during the middle of the podcast today. So you can listen for that affirmation as a shout out and an example of what they sound like. So we're almost ready to dive into our conversation, and I just want to share a little bit about the three women that are joining us today. So they have all played really pivotal leadership roles in If Not Now, which I already mentioned is a movement led by young Jews working to transform the American Jewish community's support for the occupation in Israel-Palestine and to work for a call for freedom and dignity for all Palestinians and Israelis. You can learn more about their work at ifnotnowmovement.org. And so Ilana Lerman is here. Ilana uh, has been part of If Not Now since the beginning. She calls herself one of the early mischief makers, which I think is totally true. And Ilana brings song, connection to ancestors, ritual, story, and an analysis of intersectional anti-Jewish oppression to her work. She is the spiritual and cultural life organizer with Jewish Voice for Peace and also co-leads a Jewish liberatory singing retreat called Let My People Sing. Michal David is here, and Michal spends her days working through a trauma-informed lens to support the healing and growth of youth experiencing homelessness. And in If Not Now and as an Arab Jew, Michal is committed to nurturing leaders to understand their own power, to build movement culture rooted in interdependence, and to create spaces that are liberatory for Jews of all racial and ethnic backgrounds. And finally, Helen Bennett is here. And Helen loves to do things that help people remember how worthwhile it is to trust and depend on one another. And so as a community organizer, a trainer, and a spiritual director, she just just that. She's also a volunteer organizer with If Not Now and leads on culture as strategy, which means experimenting with intuitive ways to keep rooted and also grow, develop leaders, and prioritize personal and collective healing, support, and transformation in the work. So you can hear quite clearly why this is a fit for the conversation on Healing Justice podcast. And we're excited to share a window into the culture builders of If Not Now with you. Thanks for being with us. Here we go. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Healing Justice. Hi. So glad that all three of you are here and um, sitting here today with Ilana, with Helen, and with Michal, coming all the way from Brooklyn and Boston and Los Angeles and talking about the culture building work that happens within If Not Now. And uh, one of the reasons why I'm so excited to sit with you three is because I feel like I've really been able to see in the organizing you do with If Not Now, the way that you've incorporated healing and community building and ritual and culture into the fabric of the very action-driven organizing work, um, I feel like really exemplifies uh, a blending of what often feels like a choice between a space where we get to take a lot of action and be confrontational and dismantle systems of oppression or a space where we get to heal and be with our people and, um, be held in community. And, uh, it really feels like if not now is a place where there's intentional design around being both. And Mm -hmm. so 
I, I want to ask just first, like, what is If Not Now for people who are listening? And I'll also ask that um, each of you, the first time you speak, if you could also share your name so that folks listening can uh, associate your voice with who you are. Awesome. I'm Helen Bennett. Um, I'm in Boston. Um, if Not Now is a social movement being led right now by young Jews across the country um, working to transform our American Jewish community support for the occupation in Israel-Palestine into a call for freedom and dignity for all Israelis and Palestinians. Um, and it's a mass movement, meaning we're trying to get um, equal human rights for Palestinians um, and Israelis and a release from the tension that has so been hurting all of our peoples. Thank you. And just to paint a little bit of a picture of like who is part of this movement, what it's looking like, um, how many folks are involved, and what have been people's responses when they come into the movement, like how has this become a home for them? I'd love to hear a little bit uh, just about that work and that description. Yeah, so I think um, we've been doing this work for about two years now, we've brought in um, about 1,500 people through two-day trainings. And um, people coming into those trainings have had an immense amount, a variety of experiences coming in. But I think one thing as a trainer um, that I see when folks come through the door is this realization that they can be in a place where both their values around social justice, um, freedom, and dignity can actually align with their search and their desire for a spiritual home. Um, and it's this pretty amazing transformational thing to stand in front of a room and to watch people who have unfortunately for very long felt very disconnected from Jewish communities that they want to find home in, um, understand that they can be their whole and full selves by integrating both their values around justice and their search for a spiritual um, and communal home. And I realized now, too, that I forgot to introduce myself. So hi, this is Michal, and um, coming to you from Los Angeles. Excited to be here. Awesome. Thank you, Michal. And I know, Ilana, that you have been part of kind of like the culture building work um, through the, the process of designing the DNA for this movement. And can you tell us just a little bit about what that process was and like where your intentionality for culture building comes from? Mm. Um, cool. So this is Alana speaking. This is my voice. Um, yeah, it's actually the first time that there were, if not now, actions. Um, whereas this little seed that burst open was when Gaza was under attack. And during this time, um, this was 2014, I was like listening to the news like laying on the kitchen floor, sobbing, freaking out. And so I was in a really confused spot of not knowing where to go, not knowing what to do. And um, this uh, holiday was coming up called Tisha B'Av, which is a mourning holiday. And you say mourner's Kaddish, which is this holy ritual that people say um, marking the anniversary of a death. And this is a time of commemorating um, horrible things that have happened throughout 
Jewish history. And you read out of the Torah this like very horrible text about what Jerusalem falling and you sit on the floor and you don't eat. And so this holiday was coming up and this is how I felt. Like I just was like, Jerusalem, you are falling and I am in mourning. And so I reached out to some friends and Helen connected me with some folks and we had heard that there were some folks in New York that did this action. We should do the same one of wearing all black. And we stood outside of the Jewish Federation. It was planned in like two days. There were 75 folks who showed up. Um, We lit candles and we sang. And the singing was mournful and people were crying and people actually had a space to express that rage and and that anger. You know, these actions popped off all across the country. It was this interesting moment. So, like, oh, you have, like, a, an action that's really replicable. And over time, some there was a, a crew of folks from a few of the different cities that started meeting to think, like, okay, something was birthed here. And at the same time, folks were connected to Momentum community, um, developing theories and, like, taking from other organizing practices and starting to think, like, what is a way we can have a hybrid model of mass mobilization and also structure-based organizing? And we wanna we wanna get the American Jewish community awake to this horrible thing being done in our name that our our parents, our families, our communities that raised us, um, people have been not a part of these communities, but not feeling they could even come to these communities. That these are supporting in all sorts of ways, the continuation of occupation and apartheid. And um, what it, what's it gonna take? I think um, I had been coming in with a lot of experience um, with theater of the oppressed and, um, and like pop ed stuff and just knowing like getting people in their stories and in their bodies is an important piece. Hmm. So these are things that I and other folks in this group was coming in saying like, what's it gonna be? What's the special sauce that we're gonna do um, to really move our community? And I think something that I became like adamant about was singing um, and also making sure that we're talking about Hmm. anti-Semitism. you know, in so many different activist and organized spacing spaces I've been, it's like, okay, we have so much to do. We don't have time to deep dive into talking about oppression. We don't have time to sing silly songs. Um, So we started in this fight about like, no, we have to make time. We have to do this. Because if we don't, there's there's nothing here um, different. And I can't show up fully in movement spaces if I'm not in my own home as myself and I'm able to find my own pride in who I am and where I come from. And I think part of what is happening with this fight, with um, with the occupation and what's happening with Israel is that so much of the Jewish community is putting so many resources over there. And um, that is a lot of people are are searching for like, well, what what's in this for me? Because I don't agree with what's happening over there. So I think there's something about what's happening for if not now that, you know, early on, we were like, if we have to show people that there's a way to be you and that there's a way to reach back. And I think there's something that um, the way white supremacy has hurt 
Jews specifically around like, um, you know, you assimilate, you drop your culture in order to pass, in order to like move up steps. And I think in that process, we also lose song and um, we lose language. And I think there's something about reaching back for that and saying like, no, we're not gonna do that. So I think there's there's so many different ways that song and culture are, are, are starting to shift um, and jiggle the way that we, we've been, um, the way our community has been trying to settle and find safety. And we're saying, no, actually, we're going to find safety in different ways. Mm. Um, and it's with each other. And it's looking, like, back into history. And it's looking to our ancestors. And, um, yeah. I think I'll add to Alana's it's beautiful outline of the kind of ebbs and flows of the way that we've been cultivating culture. I mean, that's what it takes. It takes cultivation. It's there's some amount of seeding that took place at that beginning front loading process that Alana really pushed for in that small group to say, like, we have to sing now. If we don't sing now, we won't later. And that really set the tone. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I've noticed, I think, that has really been so much of the special sauce is that it's it's a practice that it's like what we're trying for is both personal transformation but also for the sake of mass movement and mass social transformation and so we get to be thinking like what does that look like in reality like that looks like meetings where you start with like check-ins like how are you what's what's happening in your life and closes Mm -hmm. with appreciations of the facilitator of like highlights from the meeting it like brings in our human selves um and like who we are as as people into the work that's big and urgent um a teacher of ours dove kent says there's so much to do so we have to go slow Mm -hmm. and i think (laughs) That just, it's so true. It's like, truth be told, the occupation has been happening. Like the hurt that's been um, felt by Jewish people and by Palestinian people, like this cycle of oppression that's been just cycling um, that Jews have experienced and now are um, giving, like that's been going on a while. So how we transform that gets to come from a place of rerouting, regrounding, reevaluating, and continuing to always um, experiment anew. Um, I've personally loved getting the space to experiment with trust, trusting people. Mm. That's not something that my um, training just as a Jewish woman has helped me do very well. There's a lot of story in my family where, you know, it wasn't always good to trust people because they um, weren't trustworthy. Like things kind of on the cycle of how anti-Semitism works, everything was really good until it's not for Jews a lot of times. And so there's this training in my body that's like, better not to trust folks. Um, And I hate that. And I think, mm. like, across the movement, we see people really trying mm. to push that and to work in teams and to hold 
roles that are mm-hmm. distinct and in collaboration with other people holding distinct roles. Um, and I've found, I think personally, that it's just now there was a big Boston Hive meeting, our like chapter meeting, and over 65 people came to just like your regular chapter meeting. That's amazing. Um, and I've usually been in the role of like orchestrating those in Boston. And this moment happened the week of the meeting that I realized I had actually organized myself out of needing to coordinate all of that. I was like doing a little bit of coaching with someone and um, helping just like one of the new leaders feel grounded and was like a lifeline for her. But I was not like behind the agenda or orchestrating all the who's doing what pieces Mm -hmm. and something just like massive was able to release for me when I got to feel like this is a team like this is a place where um I get to experiment with like letting go with being a part of something that's bigger than me and knowing that this is going to be what we need what our people need to see in order to transform Mm. culturally so some of the, the just small things are what are actually huge things. Mm. I, I want to ask about those small things because I feel like that is like one of the things Adrian Marie Brown says is that interdependence is like a series of small repetitive motions mm. and thinking about the practices really that you've built in that, that create culture. And I love this idea of like Alana at the beginning, you saying, if we don't sing now, we won't sing later. Mm-hmm. And this challenge around like what we're embodying, maybe from the beginning or just maybe from this moment today, um, is a predictor of like the liberation that we can bring forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, I know Alana at the beginning, you were like there kind of at the design, in the design circle around culture and what were some of those like practices and considerations that were baked in since the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd love to hear a little bit more from Michal and Helen about what are some of the challenges and new practices being woven in now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, I mean, I think for one thing, it's like quite a, it was quite a concept to think we were starting something from scratch because so often, like everything I've come into, there's like long lines um, and you're coming into a culture that's been built, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were coming in, like all of us had come in with our own backgrounds in whether it was organizing around Israel-Palestine or it was organizing in unions or organizing, um, you know, just that one, if not now action that it, they had gone to, there was one person there who had like literally her first time was that if not now action. So we were all coming in with this like wild opportunity and this wild risk we were taking, feeling like we have the audacity to think that something can grow from from the this story and uh, we're going to build this story, a strategy, um, principles, a structure, and then that's going to decentralize and this core group's going to fall away, which it is, which is why it's so amazing to sit here and also be like, yeah, I don't, I'm excited to hear what Helen and Michal are going to say in the ways that it's um, grown and also changed because um, from the very beginning, we knew that, I mean, I'll go into some of the practices, but I think there were so many practices that we had talked about that didn't get put in and we just knew mm. these are important, but um, 
if they are needed, people will bring them. And there's this concept of swarming to the need and um, that if it's a good idea, people are going to attract to it and build it and grow it. And so there was also this, you know, a balance of like, we have to do everything right now. And like, Mm. we're going to trust that um, this movement's going to be smart and this movement's going to be flexible. And Mm. um, Adrienne Marie Brown also talks about murmurations. And I think that's like the visual of it, of like swarming to the need and, you know, following good ideas. And so uh, there's, we were talking about having trainings on Saturdays and Sundays, um, which is a huge commitment for people to make, taking a whole weekend. Um, and Saturday is Shabbat, so this day of rest. Um, and so we were trying to figure out, like, you know, there's so many different kinds of Shabbat practices. Um, how do we honor this day and honor that we have to get a ton of work done? And it's a day you're not technically supposed to work. So um, how do we do that? So I think there is, uh, there's one um, very special ritual that closes Shabbat down. Um, it's like basically like using all these senses to um, take in the sweetness of Shabbat and then uh, go forth into the week with this knowing that, yes, you're, it's so sad you're leaving something so sweet um, and holy, but what's to come you're going to get to fill in with holiness. So we went through, like, do we include this ritual as a part of our training, knowing that some people are going to see that there's a ritual and going to run away as fast as they can because mm. that's, you know, religion brings up a lot for people. Like the word there's this is a huge it's tons of Hebrew I think that's really turns a lot of people off and shuts people down and also turns a lot of people on I think what's interesting that we see now is that it's both it's like a lot of the early low-hanging fruit people were like I'm really turned off by Judaism and Jewish practice but now as the movement grows we're seeing a lot of people who are like Mm -hmm. I actually give a shit about ritual and like I want that center in the story and if that's not there then I'm turned off so it's uh-huh. Just to jump ahead, like I think the initial story was like, we have to make this accessible to the sort of lowest common denominator, which was right. Hmm. And at that moment, Alana, yeah, keep going. Like imagining that into reality was like perfect. Mm-hmm. That's what we needed. Hmm. Well, and I think part of, I mean, I didn't say this before, but I think part of why is because um, it's harder for, for the folks we're trying to move which is like what, what we're trying to do is move a, a huge percentage of the American Jewish community to be on our side. And it's really easy to kind of flick away people. Like, well, you guys don't really care about Judaism, right? Mm. You don't really care about our people anyway. You just, you just care about Palestinians. You don't care about us. You don't care that this. And it's kind of like, you know what? No, we, we actually really do care about Palestinians and we do care about us and we care about you. And we're taking this faith seriously. We're like, we're trying out practices. People are doing it in their own way, and um, and uh, and that I think was is a like one of our secret weapons is actually like going out in the streets and singing in special sauce, special sauce. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> actively demilitarizing you as you talk. Come on. <laughs> well, I think this. I mean, it's just this is it. It's like there when you're starting to figure out like the culture of a. Uh, movements that that's going to decentralize like you know i would get in 
really amazing fights with people just like this. It's like, is it a secret weapon or is it special sauce? Are we using, you know, what kind of language are we using to describe mm-hmm. what we're doing? Um, you know, and also like there was a few like really secular people in the group. So, um, and I was one of the more like practicing folks in the group. So I, I felt like I really had to show people that there was something here both to politically and strategically, but also for ourselves. Hey y'all, this is Kate, and this is the portion of our show where we take a moment to share some affirmations or gratitudes from our community. Thank you to those who submitted this week, and this is a time for us to reclaim uh, a sense of celebrating one another and to build a healing and supportive culture in our movement work um, by really expressing public gratitude and appreciation for one another. So this week, you're going to hear from Alexandra and from Dan, and here's what they have to say. Hi, my name is Alexandra, and I'd like to give a shout out to my dear friend, Emily, who has been so incredibly supportive um, and just an incredible friend to me uh, for the last six months. Um, She's probably the reason why I moved to a different city um, in order to have more community um, and to be closer to the people that um, I, I care about and who are just there for me and make me happy every day. And so, um, and yeah, it has just been really, really supportive in my process of reflection and healing um, and has just always been such a, uh, is a great listener and um, gives the right kind of advice and agitation in all the right ways. Um, so, and she does such important work and within the movement um, and I just admire her so, so much. And so, um, Emily, I love you. Thank you for your support. Um, you just have been an incredible friend. Hi, this is Dan Gelptuck, and I want to offer gratitude to Katora Brewster, Adiel Polidor, Dalita Rocha, and the Iva Future Movement. I am so deeply grateful to Katora, Adiel, and Dalida for teaching me how to lead with love, for showing me how to deeply honor the leadership of young people, for helping me see how to bring community and spirituality into the center of justice work, for helping me to imagine being part of a movement much bigger than a single issue, for supporting me to feel a sense of belonging and helping me figure out the next leg of my journey as a leader. I look forward to many more years of learning from you all. I am forever grateful for your leadership and your brilliance. Thank you. Those were so beautiful and amazing. So as you can hear, this is a time that you can shout out an organization or an individual. You could even thank nature or a season or a a movement historical figure. Um, Really just a time to shout out anything that you've been really appreciating in your healing and justice work journey. Um, And if you want to submit your own affirmation to be shared on a future show, you can do so by going to healingjustice.org. And in the upper right-hand corner, there is a button that says share an affirmation. Also, the link is in the show notes on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast, healingjustice.org, and share an affirmation. We love hearing your voices. And now we return to our conversation with Helen, Ilana, and Michal from If Not Now. 
One of the really important components of our movement is this practice that we use called storytelling and resonating. Um, and it's a practice that um, we have borrowed and adapted from um, the Relational Center and Relational Uprising, the folks there who are doing incredible work. Um, and the way that we practice stories, and if not now, I think is um, is different and, and unique than the way that a lot of movements practice stories, but also folks who are used to pr doing public narrative um, practice storytelling. Um, so when we're in a room and we're we're talking to new leaders in our community, we really emphasize, and um, I really emphasize particularly, right, that when we do the work of organizing, when we're on the ground, we're planning actions, we are doing debriefs, um, we are strategizing about who our next targets are, often in that process, we actually forget that what we're fighting for is humanity um, and to see humanity in all its fullness. And we not only forget that for others, but we forget that for ourselves. We forget that at the core of all of this work is also our liberation and our humanity. And so the stories we tell, and if not now, are not these, you know, perfectly crafted stories, but there are these stories of vulnerability. They're stories that allow ourselves to access pieces that we haven't touched in a really long time inside of our bodies. Um, and I know for me coming into If Not Now, the practice of storytelling was so powerful and and actually what really drew me to stay despite a lot of anxiety and tension about doing anti-occupation work. So um, I'm Israeli. I was born in Israel and I moved to the States when I was 10 and um, since being in the States, my Israeli identity and my connection to that identity has shifted so many times. Um, but before going into If Not Now, really that identity for me was very much tied to just severe sadness and pain. Um, I think for so long I had just been seen by others as an oppressor and had begun to see myself as an oppressor and couldn't remove that label um, from who I was. And when I came into If Not Now in my first training, I had the opportunity to talk about, to talk about my own stake in this journey and in this fight for freedom and dignity for Palestinians and Israelis. And to remember that this fight is about fighting for Palestinian liberty and dignity. And it's also about fighting for our own dignity, right? That we lose some part of our humanness and our fullness when we are created into caricatures who only bring oppression onto others. And so through storytelling and, and through a lot of coaching from really wonderful people, including Helen and um, someone je named Jesse Rothman from the Bay, um, I was really pushed to think about who was I in this practice and of organizing? Who was I in this journey of, of fighting um, for freedom for all people? And I started to discover that I wasn't just an oppressor, that I too was someone who had experienced oppression and deserved love and compassion from others. And 
I think I discovered that primarily around my identity as an Arab Jew um, and realizing that as an Arab Jew growing up in a largely assimilated Jewish community, um, a white Ashkenazi Jewish community, um, all these beautiful pieces of my Iraqi heritage, my food, my language, Arabic, um, all of these things had sort of been silenced and quieted and whitened um, for the service of creating a Jewish community that looked one, looked homogenous, so that we could feel like we would were a united front protected against this world that was out to get us all the time. And so that we could also create an other, right? And that other was our other Arabs, including Palestinians. And I realized the loss of those pieces of myself through storytelling and if not now. Um, and I hope that as someone who has worked for the last few years to maintain the culture of um, vulnerability and openness, and if not now, that I've given others the opportunity through the practice of storytelling also to discover their own humanity in this, in this fight. Um, and then to be seen, to be seen and witnessed through this practice of resonating, which is when we, we indicate to others that in the stories that we tell, that they've told, there's something in us, inside of us, that struck a chord. I always like to say that it's like when there's um, a room full of instruments and you and they're all silent, but you you pluck a string on a violin uh, or on a harp, there'll be a sort of reverberation from all of the other instruments. Um, and when we resonate, we tell people um, which of those instruments we are, which 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 chord or which string got plucked for us. And that's a moment, moment of witnessing for so many people that they haven't had the opportunity um, to experience before. So the practice of storytelling and resonating, which is just such an immense gift from the Relational Center and Relational Uprising has been, has been moving for me and I think has, um, has been moving for those who um, I've helped share and teach culture with and if not now I think that's really right um I I got the had the pleasure of sitting with Michal um at an anti-islamophobia training that we did last year already wow the time flies and Mm -hmm. I know we were like sitting there on like the stage of like a church basement or whatever it was and um being able to sit with you and just we didn't know each other that well at the time, actually, but like being with you and like mm. knowing, like seeing the other facilitators of the training being a little frazzled because it was the day after a massive action and people were kind of like trying to figure out what to do. And I could tell like, you know what, this person, you were about to, you were getting up to go sit and tell your story about what it's like to be an Arab Jew to a mostly like white Ashkenazi, like Eastern European Jewish room. And I was like, that's not like I just had this feeling like I'm gonna go sit up there next to her and like there's really no other choice (laughs) like this is how we win is when we are together in this and Mm. I remember just holding putting my hand on your back and asking like is this okay and feeling your body just kind of like 
let go a little bit into the like okayness of I guess you know I guess it's time I guess I'm gonna like tell these people about this this truth of mine um and I think that's like the special sauce of the whole that's like the shtick of the movement it's like that's how it has to be um and I know that like lots of Lots of like movement theory folks are going to say that in different ways. And I just want to say yes to all of them. Like, it's not like we've made mm. this up um, and we're like, oh, we have the special sauce of movement culture that like no one's ever tried or thought of. It's like everyone's been trying and thinking of this like the whole time and are just like, it's hard to do in a capitalist world where there is no, there aren't really like modern big models. So, that has been huge, I think, to be in it together and to show that to like, rather than wait to the debrief to say like, oh, you know what, it would have been better if someone was up there with Michal for that story to just be like, to swarm, as Alana mentioned, that the the swarm language we also learned um, from Momentum, from Carlos, and that just like the gift of the visual of and the the muscle of like, what does it take to just like go, just do it. Like not to worry if it's not perfect, allowing ourselves to just be like, mm, I think now's the moment to give this a try. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that Helen did sit next to me that day. <laughs> it made me feel so loved and cared for. And I think to Helen's point, right. I think I, you know, something I've learned in this work is that there's a conception. I think that some folks are good at, holding culture and holding space and others are not. Um, And what I've learned actually is that we teach others how to hold culture. Um, And it's a very like Mm hands-on practice. Helen coming and sitting next to me and putting her hand on my back is something that the other 50 people in the room Mm -hmm. saw and they noticed in that moment. And that's such a beautiful moment of of learning for others what it looks like to try and to be there for one another. Um, and I, I think that that kind of practice is so critical, particularly actually as we grow the movement. So, you know, in this phase of the movement, we're actually bringing in folks who um, are not used to being in organizing spaces and are not really used to being in like our beautiful healing <laughs> spiritual spaces. Yes. Um, and so this notion of immediate vulnerability uh, of storytelling is really hard, right? Because the world we live in doesn't teach us that that's what we should do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're learning and adapting and trying to understand how do we still hold space for vulnerability while also creating our culture to be accessible enough that it doesn't feel so scary for folks who haven't dipped their toes Mm -hmm. in this kind of world before. And that's a really big experimentation that we're, that we're um, jumping into right now. How do you do that? How do you make this culture um, stick and be the beautiful, uh, amorphous thing that it is and also create space for folks who are not used to being in spaces of healing and vulnerability. That's a toughie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one thing we do do that we are, we've been experimenting with um, in different ways is pushing the people 
like take roles seriously and like understand that um, to be a leader in the movement means you like are invited to hold responsibility um, and that you'll get support in that. Like if you say, yeah, I'll um, be the coordinator of that team, that that means that other coordinators will be looking out for you, that the hive keepers, the like local organizing teams in different cities, like that they'll be noticing you and supporting you that other people on your team will be like, whoa, you took on a big job. Awesome. I'm going to try and not make it harder for you to organize me. I'm going to like <laughs> fill out your doodles and like, you know, it's a big deal that you like went for it. So, and I know that it's just, it's a role you took on. It's not like you were made to be that leader and I could never be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that roles are when they work that they, there are three S's for roles that I'm excited about sharing because I know that so much in movement spaces like leadership gets concentrated so hard um, in a few people and that can really be the burnout no one is excited about and I think I see and I think what our movement is pushing against is this like just unfortunate setup that our Jewish communal leaders um, are in which is that people don't don't have the support to really like reevaluate and pivot but when we have roles that are specific strategic and supported all three of those um there's like actually a way that people can try on both the responsibility of you know seeing that we move seeing that like winning is closer and people get to try on in that um in that role that they're holding some space to show vulnerability because if we're saying that in in a leadership role you can't be human you have to be perfect Mm. and execute excellently we like kill the mojo you know there's like not a lot um of transformation um of our own jewish communal leadership um that is possible if we ourselves aren't modeling a shift Mm. we're seeing a lot of lightness and a lot of flexibility and a lot of like rejuvenation in that in that process and I'm seeing teams emerge like people are really in teams the, one of my like favorite moments was at a sort of cross-pollination meeting that was happening with a bunch of different leaders a little while ago totally without my prompting someone was like I think we should do this kind of, someone had like a, an action idea like some kind of what if we tried this thing out um and someone else was like you know what, we've really learned that like, it's really hard for things to happen outside of teams. We've just been seeing that like all over the hive, like all over the swarm. Um, And I was like, it's working. Like people are realizing that there's definitely like a swarm capacity. Like if enough people are like, yes, for a thing, like it can happen no matter what, but also people are aware that um, sort of being together on teams and um like trusting each other in the roles that they're holding is like really what's going to make something deep and lasting Mm -hmm. i want to ask about some of the specifics and i feel like you've mentioned a few that are really profound around song around storytelling around really addressing anti-semitism in a deep way um around embodying the culture that you want to see other people mimic um And I'm curious if there are some other examples that maybe you haven't mentioned yet 
of like, what is, uh, what are some default cultural things that have shown up in the space, um, wherever they come from, whether it comes out of uh, a culture of Jewish community or white supremacy or just mainstream mm-hmm. culture in the U.S., um, gender stuff, you know, whatever it is, things that you've identified that you're like, oh, we actually want to make an intentional intervention around that. Um, so what is the thing that shows up that you want to intervene on? And then what has been a solve or like a, um, a, a practice to attempt to intervene on that thing? And has it worked or not? <laughs> Great question, Kate. I think one that comes to mind, and I'm curious what other folks say, there's um, not surprising um, a tendency for um, women, socialized folks, to lean towards, like, logistics roles, um, like back-end, magically making it go well type of roles. Um, That's in air quotes, because you can't see me, but... There's no fucking magic about it. Um, And what we've done is say that explicitly um, when it's like time to break out and like go to like the logistics group or the messengers or the the, like shepherds or um, yeah, picture takers, like various roles that might be needed for a certain training or a certain action to say, hey, we want to invite... socialized men folk to try on logistics roles um, to subvert sexism stuff. And that's been awesome. People, you know, it's not transformed all of society, but, uh, you know, one step at a time, it's really made some moves. I've seen a lot of, like, men take up the kitchen projects, and um, that has been, like, a gift. And there's been a lot of, like, cross training and people being like, I actually don't know how to do this. That's why I never take on the role. And then people being like, oh, okay, I can show you how. Um, I love seeing that. Mm-hmm. One thing that comes up regularly um, because of the, the world of capitalism that we live in, because of the urgency um, around doing things really well, um, because of the situation on the ground in Israel-Palestine is a crisis that we want to solve um, is this tendency, I think, to be hypercritical of ourselves um, and the work that we do. And I've seen that before in other movement spaces that, you know, we um, have an action, we plan an outreach event, we plan an internal event. And when we come out of um, that event, we go straight into a debrief where we talk about what do we do next? What are the next steps? What Mm. could have gone better? um, And yeah, how do we want to grow? And I think obviously there's such beauty in that and the desire to um, continue to nurture our skills and our abilities and the way that we do organizing. And in that process, also what happens is exhaustion. um, And also what happens is a lack of recognition of the things that have gone really well. Um, And so um, Helen brought up this idea of acknowledgements or affirmations, um, which we really try to make part of of our culture on a day-to-day basis and if not now when anyone has done anything um, whether it's trained in front of the room whether they've cooked whether they've shared a story um, whether they've 
planned um, the meal for that night or got in the room, we take the time to say, um, let's let's affirm what just happened. What do you like about what Helen just did in front of the room? How did she hold this space? Um, what did you love about Ilana's module on singing? Um, how did she move you? Um, and those moments um, often just, we don't make time for them. We don't make time to celebrate each other and to see each other and to say, what you are doing is incredible. And while there's so much more to do in this moment, it's enough. What you've done is enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sense of presence um, in the midst of such urgency, I think is what keeps me grounded and keeps our movement grounded when there is so much havoc um, being, being um, mm-hmm. you know, happening yeah. around it being reeked. Yeah, that's the word. There we go. That was my, uh, that was my English reeked. as a second, that was my English as a second language moment <laughs> being reeked around us. Um, it keeps us grounded. I recently, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just recently like did that appreciations for someone after like a really intense meeting. Someone was like leading this really intense strategizing process that was like, just holding a lot of moving parts and she was just rocking it and it was really hard she really had put in a lot and um, we like figured out we came to the end it was like 10 30 p.m and I was like I just want to lift up Eliza for this like heavy stuff she's been holding and whatever whatever all the ways that she's brought poise and boldness and like the way that she's brought conviction and consensus process to this whole project here that we're trying to figure out um and it like spurred all these other appreciations everyone else was like loving on her so big and she texted me at like the wee hours later that night and was like that was the fuel that I needed like I was at the end of my rope and we I can see us moving forward and I see myself being Mm -hmm. able to continue to lead because I got so much love there I'm like, Mm -hmm. it's not that hard, folks. It's like something that we get to just like lean into and Mm -hmm. believe is a good idea. It's been sweet listening to both of you throughout this whole time around um, just like the moments that these things were a struggle in in the like formation process of like we were attempt- like we always wanted to have two people at the front of the room, like leading a workshop. We always want to make sure there's two people. Like when someone's telling a story, someone's right there next to them. Yeah, and that part of that is you're not put in front of a whole group of people to, you know, sink or swim or like totally, you know, be amazing by yourself. The point is that you have someone next to you to be like encouraging you, picking you up. You know, something's not going right. You tell everyone to talk to your pair and you to get, you have someone right next to you ready to go to be like, okay, now what do we do? Um, So, yeah, and even like in the process when we were trying to figure it out and things were hard and it was at the end of a moment, we're like, all right, time appreciations, even though it's a moment we don't even want to do it. Again, it was like, Mm. if we're not doing this now, we know it's going to it's going to get hard just like this when there's not 10 people in the room but like 65 people in the room and there needs to be that that practice of going back and doing it when it's easy and when it's hard mm-hmm. um and i think there's um another piece that 
you know, just that you telling the story about Michal um, telling her stories, an Arab Jew in front of the room, I think that was another place that we really struggled in the core team. It was mostly white Ashkenazi folks, and we kept try- we went through a really long and hard process around figuring out, like, this is really super Ashkenazi-focused group, and, um, you know, that's going to replicate, and what are we going to do about that? And I think that's something that, you know, we couldn't quite figure it out, and we knew that it was something that the movement would either figure out or we wouldn't, it wouldn't work, like it would die. Like, we knew that, and that was a really scary it was really scary to, um, well, I shouldn't say all of us. I, I felt like it wouldn't work. It was, it was a, um, something that I think over time, I know both you, Helen and Michal, have done a lot of work inside of If Not Now to um, course correct, make space, to um, bring in like 2.0 trainings. And um, I think that's like just a beautiful example of, um, the way we do have to build to trust and um, know that even the culture that we're putting time into creating is is going to shift and is going to build off of the brilliance of who who comes. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I love the idea of this intervention around the, the hypercriticalness because I feel like I've just so experienced that in every mm-hmm. movement space. And a lot of it comes from really legitimate pain around like, the trauma that folks are already experiencing that is the basis of the issues that we're working on. And then on top of that, like coming to movement space and having an expectation and a hope that like we can build the community that we need, that is the alternative. And then there are always harms that happen that remind us that we're not yet in that new world. And um, I feel really impacted just by like the simplicity of an intervention being appreciating people even when you're like frustrated or disappointed or angry or whatever, because it's never just one thing. Like mm-hmm. no person is all harm, mm-hmm. right? And um yeah, I feel I feel impacted by the simplicity of that. That is actually just such an intentional mm-hmm. piece. And I've experienced it in your training spaces. Um, after a really, really hard moment after an anti-Semitism module here in New York a couple years ago. And um, it was really powerful to watch people actually be a stand for, like, I'm, even though I can tell that the room is in a really hard place right now, I'm still going to be here and receive appreciation. Um, felt It felt like it really honored the dignity and humanity of everybody who was struggling with these big intergenerational traumas that we're just beginning to unpack together. Mm. Mm. Um And in that spirit, I also really want to make sure that we offer folks, uh, out of all the wisdom that we've just heard, some practical tools that they can carry forward in in, um, kind of healing culture building in their own work. And would love to hear a little bit about what is the uh, practice that you're going to be offering us. Cool. Um, So the practice we're excited to offer is about bringing song into specifically a meeting and gathering space um, and the way to set that up really well um, and hold the singing space itself and how to end singing space and the magic that can happen after that. Mm. As well as, um, Helen, do you want to talk about the other piece? Yeah, I think I'll also say, like, I think as a Jewish movement, we 
have a lot of music that's ours that we get to reach for and use. And I know that not all movements feel like, <laughs> oh, yeah, sure, our, like, wellspring of, like, ancient rituals, you know. So um, we've done some thinking about that, and um, we'll get to also share um, some perspective about culture and ritual from old and from new. Mm-hmm. For folks who want to hear that practice and try on some of those principles um, with Helen and Ilana and derived from the work of If Not Now, you can download the next episode. And if you don't see it posted yet, it's because our conversations come out on Tuesdays and the corresponding practice posts on Thursdays. So you can watch for that to be posted on Thursday. And I am just so absolutely grateful. The amount of time we had was not nearly enough to dive into the wisdom of what y'all have been experimenting with and really the depth of the way that you are integrating healing and culture and a new story that is not just a savvy political narrative effort, although it also is, um, but is a healing effort that is transforming the very folks that um, are involved in your movement. And so thank you for so generously sharing that with all of us. And we look forward to continuing to learn from you. Thanks, y'all. Thank you so much. It's the best. Healing justice for the womb. You just heard a conversation between Kate Warning, Michal David, Helen Bennett, and Ilana Lerman of If Not Now. You can download the corresponding practice to hear Helen and Ilana guide you through uh, the practices of leading an intentional and grounded and powerful song. They'll talk about some of the tips and tricks for leading songs powerfully in the space, like very practical uh, facilitator tips. And we'll also talk about meaningful topics such as appropriation, making sure to give the history of the song, um, looking for songs in your own culture, and what to do if you feel like there aren't songs in your own culture. Um, How might we share movement songs together meaningfully. So it's a little bit of a train the facilitator kind of practice. So if you're someone who'd like to bring more song into your movement, I suggest that you download that practice. And our practices always post on the podcast on Thursdays. So if this episode just posted live and you don't see the practice yet, you'll see that up on Thursday. If you want to learn more about If Not Now, you can go to ifnotnowmovement.org. And there's also a great resource in the show notes with a link to a SoundCloud account with a ton of songs that If Not Now is using in their movement spaces. It's a really cool resource and something brilliant to emulate really for any movement. And so you can check it out and kind of sing along with some of the songs on that SoundCloud with the link in the show notes. There's also links in the show notes for all of our social media and also for joining our email list at healingjustice.org, which is also where you can find the link to share an affirmation to be played or read on the show in future weeks. So check out healingjustice.org for that. And we're sharing some pretty gorgeous stuff on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter every single day. So you can check us out there too. 
This podcast is generously mixed and produced by Zach Meyer at The Coal Room. And if you'd like to support, but sharing an affirmation publicly might not be your thing, we really welcome your donations at patreon.com slash healing justice. They literally pay the tech costs to keep this program running. So anything you can give there is always greatly appreciated. Hey, so thank you, like I say every week, but always mean it, for your commitment to building movements that liberate all of us, including you. Hear you next week.